sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, including all of London. Thank you that Jesus Christ has overcome all the power of sin, death, and hell in the cross and resurrection. Father, we claim City Temple as a place of spiritual safety and refuge and ask for your protection from all the attacks of the enemy. As children of God, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we command every evil spirit claiming ground in this place or even in the surrounding area based on the activities of people past or present to leave and never return. We renounce all demonic assignments directed against us and the surrounding area. We renounce any allegiance given to false gods or evil spirits in this area. We renounce all witchcraft that has been directed against us or the surrounding area. <clears throat> we renounce all sacrifices or curses by anyone who would want to claim ownership in this place or the surrounding area. We renounce any claim to City Temple and the surrounding area by Satan based on sinful activities, sinful covenants, sinful agreements, and false worship. We ask you, Almighty God, to post your warrior angels around this place and this whole area to guard it from all attempts of the enemy to enter or disturb the advance of your kingdom and the fulfillment of your purposes for City Temple and her godly associates. Let the glory of your son Jesus Christ shine throughout this area so that your kingdom comes and demons flee. We pray for all the business leaders in this area, that every business in this area from Goldman Sachs behind us uh, to every other one around us would lead their businesses in godly ways and that their businesses would prosper as they do lead them in godly ways and that all the businesses around us would be oriented toward godly purposes. We pray for everyone who works or lives in this area that they would become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We know that more than 60,000 people come in every day within 10 minutes walk of here, and we pray that all of them would be followers of Jesus. And we pray that all the followers of Jesus, the Christians who work or live in this area, would prosper, that they would remain faithful in following Jesus, and that they would exercise a strong, godly Christian influence on their businesses and on their co-workers. Almighty God, as we come to you today, we pray that any false god or idol that's worshipped in this area would be exposed as completely false, that it would collapse in weakness and fall in humiliation before the one true living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We commit this area into your care, and we cry out to you that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this area. And Father, as we come to you, we pray not only for all the businesses, but especially for that connected to Morley House next door. We pray, Father God, that there would be no dedication to any demonic idol for that building. We claim that building as kingdom territory, and we pray your blessing upon everybody associated with that building, a blessing of repentance that leads them to salvation in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And no matter what, Father God, we pray that you would demonstrate your glory and demonstrate your greatness and your goodness in this area and in whatever outcome you have, both for City Temple and for Morley House next door. And we commit that into your hands. Father God, we also pray for us today as we go into our church meeting this afternoon that your Holy Spirit would continue to surround us and walk with us and that every opposition of the enemy would collapse and fall in Jesus' name. We love you and we worship you and we honor you and we pray, Lord God, that your rulership would be demonstrated in this area. We declare that Jesus Christ is the only Lord and Savior who is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And we believe, Father God, that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil and that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, having triumphed over them by the cross. So, Father God, we call forth your rulership this day in this church and this area. We thank you for doing all of this in the name and authority of your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray as we go to your word now that you'd open it up for us and stir us up to live boldly for you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit would rest on me to bring your word to your people this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to 2 Chronicles, again, chapter 32 this time, then Psalm 144 and Colossians chapter 2. would prevent your word from going forth in power today. Second Chronicles chapter 32. After these things and these acts of faithfulness on the part of Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside of the city. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the way, all the wall that was broken down, and raised towers upon it. And outside it he built another wall, and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance, and he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, 
Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with them, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem. Now we're going to skip down to verse 20 to see what happened. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all of his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all the nations from that time onward. And then to Psalm 144. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love in my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like passing, a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so they smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and, and, and rout them. Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-string harp I will play to you, who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce, May our sheep bring forth thousands and thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress on our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. And then to second, to Colossians chapter 2. There's no second Colossians, I almost said. <laughs> I'll bring in with verse 9. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also... In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we started last week and we were talking about how our tendency is to think that when stuff happens to us, it's all happening to us in the natural. And there's some healthiness to that. We don't ever want to become a, a group of people that see demons around every bush and blame everything on the devil. You know, there are a lot of people who like to blame the devil for stuff and, and stuff that's their own fault. You know, for example, if, you are, if you're reckless in your use of money and your use of credit cards and you get yourself in, into unmanageable debt and you have to declare bankruptcy, it's wrong for you to blame the devil. It's not the devil's fault, it's your own fault. And so we have to be careful of that. But at the same time, many of the conflicts that happen, many of the struggles that happen, many of the challenges that we face from challenges in our families, challenges with our children, uh, challenges with our boss, challenges in our church, challenges on our street, many of the things that we encounter, many of the challenges that we face are actually spiritual war that's going on. They are spiritual battles that are happening in our lives. And if we don't become conscious of this and don't become alert to this, we will tend to try to fight a spiritual battle using natural things. And if you try to fight a spiritual battle using natural things, you will never succeed. If you try to fight a spiritual battle using natural techniques and you think, oh, all I need to do is get a nice self-help book or something like that and deal with the spiritual battle, you will always struggle with it. You will never succeed. And we need to be alert because especially now, I think City Temple is under a heightened level of spiritual warfare. I can tell that because over the last number of weeks, uh, we've had a number of people from the past, we call them kind of the blast from the past, uh, people who had caused problems in the life of the church in the past, all of a sudden show up again. In some cases, people I hadn't seen for 10 years, they just kind of pop in the door and it's like, what are you doing here? And it's because there's this heightened spiritual dynamic that's going on around us. The other day on Friday, I was coming here, I had an appointment on Friday, uh, I was walking here to church. I decided to get a falafel, as I often do on a Friday, because uh, I'm very partial to some of the falafels on Leather Lane. So I got a falafel. I'm walking here to church. I get to the steps of the church, and mysteriously, I'm walking at speed, and mysteriously, I trip. Now, there's no pavement out there to trip over. Mysteriously, I tripped, and I went flying onto the stairs, and I rolled a couple of times on the stairs, I got a little mark on my knee here, I can prove it to you, uh, but you don't want to see that. Uh, you know, I, and I just went flying on the stairs. And it, was, it really felt like somebody had stuck their foot out like that, and, and as I passed, after, after I tripped, like they gave me a little shove on the back. 
Now that's a weird kind of thing. And what made it even weirder is there's a guy sitting out on the stairs on one of those little platforms that stick out. He's sitting out on the stairs. I almost crashed right into the side of this guy and he's just kind of talking away and doesn't even notice what's happened, doesn't even look at me, doesn't even say anything about this. And I look and I'm thinking, okay, what is the deal here? What is the deal? There is no natural explanation, but sometimes there can be a spiritual explanation for crazy things that happen in the natural like this that have no easy explanation. There are things going on, there are things you're facing in your life that you think they're natural, you think all you need to do is do X, Y, Z and you'll have a solution, but actually there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual conflict, a spiritual battle that is going on. How we need to know how to deal with it. And we see that example there in Hezekiah. Hezekiah, he's just been hanging out with the Lord. Uh, the Lord has blessed him. He's a righteous king. And then all of a sudden, he gets word that Sennacherib is going to come and attack him. Now notice what Hezekiah does. He goes and he engages and he gets ready in the natural. He says, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's take some steps. Let's put the army together. Let's get our, get, let's get our battle gear in order. You know, he, he wasn't denying the natural, and he wasn't denying the need to do things in the natural. But notice as he went on, he said, but remember this, people. The battle is the Lord's. He is going to fight our battles. And there was that confidence and what happened was, in the end, Isaiah's prophesying, Hezekiah's praying, they both pray and they both prophesy, and God superintends that whole conflict. He turns, he, he wipes out Sennacherib's army, and then Sennacherib goes back to his hometown in disgrace. He goes into the temple of his false god, and he's killed there by his sons. And all of this was done by God. It is a spiritual conflict. Uh, as we're looking at doing a, the building redevelopment, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. I did a debriefing uh, last Sunday very extensively on this. And we are dealing with spiritual realities. There are demons connected to the company that, that has bought the building next door. And we've known that, but we believe that God's bigger than demons, right? So we're not going to deal with anything because we're afraid. That's ridiculous. But we have to understand that it's not all about just making deals. And even our conversations with Mayflower Spirit returns and possibly working with them, we need to understand that even they are dealing with spiritual issues. Really, what the psalmist was praying there in Psalm 144 is a prayer that we can engage in. You know, come on, God, rise up, pull down the false gods, show yourself great, show yourself holy. So we need to be aware of the spiritual battles. Not to blame everything on spiritual battles, but we need to be aware of the spiritual battles and the spiritual issues that are there so that we can deal with them accordingly. And last week we began to talk about how we do that. And this week we're going to talk a little bit about our enemy in this spiritual conflict. And our enemy in the spiritual conflict is not a person. It's a spiritual being. One of the biggest mistakes we make 
is to think that our enemy is a person. People are not our enemy. Now our enemy, Satan, can use people for his advantage and can use people in a way that they seem like our enemies and certainly those who completely reject Jesus and refuse to follow Jesus are certainly enemies of the living God and whoever's an enemy of the living God obviously is our enemy as well. But the source of all of this is not people, it's a spiritual being that we call Satan or the devil and, and his demons. And they are very real and they are very active. And if we are going to have victory in the spiritual war, we first, we need to learn how to recognize actually when something demonic might be working. How can we recognize that? How can we discern? And to do that, first of all, we need to recognize demonic strategies. There are certain strategies that demons use that are so common that you should know when you're facing this, it's probably some kind of demonic attack. You know, for example, one of those is confusion. Confusion. If you ever start feeling confused in your own mind, having difficulties making decisions, having difficulties focusing, it could be a spiritual attack against you. And if you're talking with somebody, have you ever been in this conversation with somebody and you're talking and you talk for about five minutes and you both look at each other and it's like, what did you say? I don't know, what did you say? I don't know, what did you say? And, and you think, we didn't even hear each other. What's going on here? That kind of confusion is often a demonic strategy. And when you have it, you should start thinking demon first and natural explanation later. Or another one, conflict, especially if the conflict is sudden, sharp, and unhealthy. Now, it's good to have conflict, believe it or not. The Bible encourages that. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you don't have disagreements, you won't be able to come to the truth. How do we get to know the truth? We get to know the truth by discussing differences of perspective with one another so that we can come to a conclusion. And that discussion, that struggle, that wrestling is what helps us to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so there's a certain degree of conflict that's normal. But if all of a sudden something rises up in you and you get really angry or something rises up in somebody else and they get really angry, or you say something with the most innocent of intents and all of a sudden they explode or they react harshly or strongly, then you shouldn't assume that it's simply because of a character flaw in the other person, especially if you're married to them. Which is what we tend to do. You should first assume, is there something demonic that's influencing us right now, that's attacking us in one way, shape, or form. Another common tactic of the devil is control. You know, where we start to feel that somebody is manipulating us uh, or we just can't seem to control ourselves. That's often an indicator that something spiritual is going on. And so we need to stop. When you start feeling that way, you know, most of us, what we tend to do, we either capitulate to it or we get angry about it. But instead of giving in 
And instead of getting angry, what we need to do is start to pray and say, because I'm not being able to control myself fully, I'm feeling out of control, or because I'm feeling so manipulated, there could be something spiritual operating here. Because it's such a common tactic that Satan uses. Another common tactic is to interfere with communication, communication problems. Satan loves to mess up our communication. A little bit, a little few minutes ago, we were having troubles getting the, the microphone right. And even though the microphone had a, a reasonably charged battery in it, it was, it was kind of messing up. And that happens a lot. I have been in, in meetings where people said, you know, I tested this before the meeting and it was fine. And then all of a sudden the PA system stopped working. It's a communication issue. If you're having trouble communicating with somebody, don't assume it's simply because they're dense and can't understand what you're saying. If you're having trouble getting your message through, begin to suspect that there's a spiritual issue that's going on there that needs to be dealt with. Because communication problems are a common, common tactic of the enemy. And trying to get us to capitulate to a sense of discouragement, depression, or despair. I mean, the truth is, most of us deal with discouragement, depression, or despair every now and then. It comes up. Sometimes it can come up because we're tired. Uh, sometimes it can come up because we're frustrated. It can be any number of reasons. But when you feel like giving into it, when you feel like capitulating to it, then suspect that you're under demonic attack. Because God does not want to discourage us, to depress us, or to cause us to despair. That's not the way he works. And that's not even a natural human thing that is a tactic of the enemy to get you to quit. Because if he can get you to capitulate to discouragement, depression, or despair, then he will get you to give up and stop following Jesus. And he loves doing that. He loves doing it. So whenever you experience one of these common tactics that Satan uses, then immediately suspect demonic influence. Immediately suspect it. Because it's probably there even though you don't know it. And not only do we need to recognize his tactics, we also need to recognize his weapons. And Satan has a, a few key weapons that he loves to use. Uh, we talk a lot about this in Freedom in Christ. He loves to use accusation. When you start having accusing thoughts in your mind, that's never God. That's never God. If you start saying you're fat, or you're stupid, or you can't be a good Christian, or you can't do this, or you're not worth as much as this person, or, or you're a failure, you're a loser, you know, any kind of thought like that accusing you, that's demonic. That's one of Satan's primary weapons. He loves to accuse us. He loves to accuse us. He loves to tempt us. Now, sometimes we're tempted by our own flesh and our own sinfulness. Uh, that's true. But if you've got a temptation that's really laying a hold of you strong, that's not really in a line with some of your fleshly tendencies, then you need to suspect it's probably demonic. And Satan will often stir up our sinful tendencies inside of us to get us to give into it. So whenever you're feeling strong temptation 
or even a, you know, kind of a steady temptation in a way contrary to the will of God, then suspect something that's demonic because that's one of his big weapons. Another weapon that Satan loves to use is deception. And the thing about deception, if you're deceived, you don't know it. That's why we need one another in the body of Christ. I need you to keep me from being deceived. And I've learned from 30 years of ministry, if I'm not surrounded by a church, it's easy for me to fall into deception. It's easy for me to start thinking maybe everybody's against me, you know? Oh, they're out to get me. Oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm going I'm to fail here because, because somebody's undermining me. There's all kinds of deceptions that the enemy uses on us. And we need to check in with each other. Constantly check in with each other. And say, okay, this is happening. What's your perspective on this? What's your perspective? And help each other, encourage each other. And then another area, fear and anxiety. Satan loves to use fear and anxiety, particularly anxiety. So if you start to feel stressed out and all churned up on the inside, like I've got to do something or I can't do anything, and, and you just you feel like you've got to move and get all this frenetic activity, and you're really worried, you know, things are going to fall apart, everything's going to, going to collapse on me, all my relationships are going to die, that's anxiety, and it's an attack of the enemy. And so we need to do it. We need to deal with it. And we need to recognize not only the tactics and the weapons that Satan has at his disposal, but we also need to recognize his goals. What John tells us, John, uh, Jesus tells us, John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. That is his agenda against you. That is his agenda against you. To steal from you. And stealing is not always physical stuff. It can be to steal your joy. To steal your relationships. To steal your fruitfulness. He loves to do that. He wants to kill. But killing is not only killing your body. It can be killing your spirit. Your enthusiasm. Killing your relationships. Killing your character in Christ Jesus. And destruction. Destruction is not just physical destruction. He wants to destroy you in any way possible. And his ultimate goal, his ultimate end game is false worship. The more he can get people to worship him or one of his underlings, the better he likes it. He even tempted Jesus to worship him. So these are the enemy's tactics. These are the enemy's uh, uh, the enemy's weapons, and these are the enemy's goals. Now there's a few others, but these are the central ones. And so when you start seeing these tactics in operation, when you start uh, sensing these weapons coming against you, and when you start discerning that something is trying to steal, kill, destroy you, or get you to worship something other than God, like your spouse or your money, uh, or your job, or something like that. Getting you to compromise is one of the key things that the enemy does. 
That's the, one, the way he wants us to worship. When you go, start sensing that, you need to suspect that you are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual battle. When we talked last week, we began to talk about how to face it, but I'm going to give you a few more insights here today on how you deal with that spiritual battle that you're in. The first thing, we must stop undermining ourselves. Most of the time, when we lose a battle spiritually, it's because we've undermined ourselves. It's not because Satan was that good. Now, sometimes he is, but most of the time we undermine ourselves. How do we undermine ourselves? One is pride. If you think, oh, I'm, I'm great, I'll never come under attack, or I've got it all under control, any of those kinds of things. If you have even an iota of pride in your life, you've undermined yourself. And actually, even worse, you've made, put God in opposition to you because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Another big way that we undermine ourselves is presumption. We presume that we know what to do. Now, I'm all in favor of us using wisdom to make decisions. I think that's biblical and godly. And we need to use the, the scripture to make decisions. And we need to make, use godly counsel to make decisions. But we also must go to the Lord in prayer when we're making decisions. For example, at our elders meeting yesterday, we broke into prayer four or five times during the meeting just to, to deal with particular decisions and ask God's guidance so it goes beyond our wisdom. Because sometimes God uses our wisdom. Sometimes God does something that kind of contravenes our wisdom. So we've got to be going for the Lord and we must not presume that we know the right way to go. But we must be seeking the Lord and we must not presume that everything is okay with us. We need to be seeking the Lord. A third big way that we undermine ourselves is by not confessing our sin. If you've got sin in your life, you need to deal with it. You need to confess it. Pray for each other so you can be healed. And you also need to be practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness is essential. If you've got bitterness in your life, if you're carrying bitterness in your heart, you undermine yourself in your possibility of victory. And we must avoid any kind of what I call charismatic witchcraft. And that means that we're trying to use spiritual things to control natural things. You know, for, for example, I got Federico. I'm going to use you as an example here. My, my great friend Federico, I love this man. He is so cool. Uh, I never knew Spaniards could be so cool until I met him. You know, so uh, Federico is great. So, but say I have an issue with Federico. And, and I start to say, oh God, please change Federico's mind. Please cause Federico to give 20% of his income to the church because you know, God, that Federico can afford it. And you know that he needs to be that spiritual in his life. You know what I'm doing? I'm not praying, I'm committing witchcraft. And that's sin. And there's a lot of times that we try to control people and control our situations by some kind of pseudo-weirdo spirituality that is more akin to demonic witchcraft than it is to biblical, godly living. And it always undermines ourselves. 
So we have to stop undermining ourselves and start preparing ourselves. And we must always be preparing ourselves. How do we prepare ourselves? We have to know who we are in Christ. You need to know that you're a saint, that you're a holy one, that you're a son of God. You need to know that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, and you must believe that that's true. Because your authority over the spiritual world comes from your relationship and your position with Jesus Christ in that relationship. So to prepare yourself, you have to know who you are in Christ, and you have to believe your authority in Christ. And just remember, as I always say, your authority doesn't increase with volume. It's not something you whip up, it's something that you have already. We must humble ourselves and realize that God is the source of our strength. It's not us doing the right things that brings the victory, it's God who fights our battles who brings the victory. So we have to humble ourselves. We need to practice spiritual disciplines. We pray, we read the Bible, uh, we give. We do all these things that God's told us to do because it's like basic training. These are things that build up our spiritual muscles. I remember years ago when I first heard the Lord tell me to pray an hour a day. I'm like, God, how in the world am I going to pray an hour a day? What am I going to do for an hour? That's going to be boring. I'll go to sleep. I don't have enough to pray about for an hour. I, I get... You know, God, please accept my 10 minutes. No, and God said, no, pray for an hour a day. And I committed myself to pray for an hour a day. Now, I don't even know how I get by on less than two hours a day. Normally, I try to go two to three hours. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, I'm some great praying person. I'm not. I'm just kind of like you. But this is where God took me and how God led me. And as I began to pray, at first 20 minutes was tough, but eventually 30 minutes was easy, and then an hour was tough, but then an hour became easy. And why was it? It's because I trained myself, I built up my spiritual muscles, and that helps me to be ready for the battles that I face. And finally, we have to engage in the body of Christ. There is nothing more foolish than somebody who claims to be a Christian who is not actively committed to the body of Christ. And committed to the body of Christ doesn't mean, you know, occasionally hanging out with Christians. It means zeroing in, getting Christian friends, getting people who will pray with you, who will stand with you, getting involved with worship, doing all the stuff that you do. You've got to do that, otherwise you have no hope to really have victory in the battles that we face. And so after we recognize what the enemy's doing and we prepare ourselves by not undermining ourselves and starting to build up our strength, then we can begin to employ the tactics that God is going to give us. And there's all kinds of things that God will tell us to do. The key thing is to remember what I said last week. The most powerful weapon in spiritual warfare is obedience. Do what God tells you to do. Absolutely essential. 
We will win our battles because we do what God tells us to do. You see that in the life of David. You see that in the life of Hezekiah. You see that in the life of Jehoshaphat. You see that in the life of Gideon. You see that in the life of Moses. You see that in the life of Joshua. You see that in the life of Jesus. You see that in the life of John. You see that in the life of Paul. It's all through the Bible. We must obey and do what God tells us to do. And there's any kinds of things he can do. Sometimes it's strategic worship. You know, the songs that we've done and the songs that we'll do are songs that I really felt the Lord said, Rod, these songs are important for getting the breakthrough that you need. And sometimes God does that. Doesn't mean he always does it, but sometimes he does. Or there might be a prophetic act that God tells us to do. Make a declaration or lift your hands in a certain way, or anoint something. God might give you a crafted prayer or a declaration. You might have noticed the prayer I prayed today during the pastoral prayer time was the one that's on the, the model in the prayer room. And I'm just following out that crafted prayer and declaration. Now, there's nothing magic about it, and we have to be careful not to make it like a mantra or you know some kind of ritualistic thing, but God can give us a prayer and say, keep on praying this prayer, persevere, and it's one of the ways that we can unite together in praying a prayer. Sometimes God will tell us to do ministry in the opposite spirit. Maybe somebody is mistreating you very badly at work, and the Lord says, buy him a cup of coffee. And you say, God, that's silly. You know, they're mistreating me. You want me to buy him a cup of coffee? What, is he, what are you doing, God? You're crazy. Is there another God up there I could talk to? But oftentimes, it's that going in the opposite spirit in a godly way that can bring the breakthrough. Sometimes it's generosity. Giving of ourselves is one of the most powerful weapons of our warfare. One of the most powerful tactics that God uses. And embracing the cross. That's probably one of the most important things being willing to suffer, being willing to persevere, being willing to struggle. Because ultimately, it was in the cross that Jesus disarmed all of the spiritual forces of evil. And not only did Jesus disarm all the spiritual forces of evil in the cross, he exposed them to shame and triumphed over them. And we who are seated in Christ Jesus share in his victory. We share in his triumph. We share his experience. And it's with that confidence that we can engage in the spiritual battles. You know, we might be uncomfortable with spiritual warfare language, but at the end of the day, it's about the love of God. It's about seeing God's love go forth so that everybody experiences the love of God. Everybody experiences the reality of Jesus Christ. It's about seeing everything that hinders the love of God removed, so that in the end, Jesus and Jesus alone receives all the glory. The Lord will fight our battles. Press into him, trust him, and go forth in victory. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for this reality of the spiritual that you've shown us. Help us to learn to recognize it 
Help us to learn to walk in victory. And help us not to see people as the enemy, but to know that Satan is our enemy. Father, I pray that you'd enable us in this time just to exalt the name of Jesus. Because it's really in Jesus Christ that we have the victory. It's through the cross and the empty tomb that we rise and stand victorious. And so, Father, we pray that you'd show your victory in every area of our lives right now through your son Jesus. For we pray it all in his name. Amen.